This morning we are reading from Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest but will settle the matter today. Ruth 3, 1 through 18. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. I pray that you would take this text and that you would illuminate our minds. That through Ryan, your servant, that you would uh, teach us the truth of it and how it relates to your plan for our redemption. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Isn't this the craziest chapter of the Bible you've ever read for in your life? It's wild, isn't it? Uh, if you're new here, I want to give you a little context about what we're doing. We're walking through the book of Ruth together, and we've, this is our fifth week in it, and it's a story. And the story has uh, three predominant main characters uh, in it. Naomi, who is Ruth's mother-in-law, who is from Bethlehem. She's Jewish. Uh, Ruth, uh, who is a Moabite uh, that is, um, you know, Naomi's daughter-in-law. And Boaz, uh, who is this Israelite relative of Naomi and now Ruth's. Um, and, and the way that the story has played out thus far, far is this. Is, uh, Elimelech 
Naomi and their uh, boys Malon and Chilion left Bethlehem in the time of a famine. They sold out and they left. They wanted to go for the greener grass that at this time was in Moab. Now Moab uh, was this land of, of just rampant sin. And it's always had been that way. And so they leave looking for the greener grass. And, and then uh, absolute tragedy strikes their lives as they spend time in Moab. First Elimelech dies. Uh, well first the boys get married to Moabite women. And then Elimelech dies, and then both boys die, leaving three widows. No children, three widows. Uh, um, uh, Ruth is one of them, and Naomi is, is the mother-in-law. Orpah is the other daughter-in-law. And Ruth then, then, then hears that there's bread again in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And she, she thinks to herself, I should go back. I should go back. And so, but she has these two daughter-in-laws in tow. And she, she says to them, you should stay in Moab. You've got a lot to look forward to here. You can get remarried. And then Ruth says this thing in, in Ruth chapter 1. She says, listen, Naomi, I can't go back. And the reason I can't go back is because I am not a Moabite. I don't, I don't worship uh, the God of, of Chemosh anymore. I don't, I don't worship him. I worship the God of Israel, Yahweh. I've been converted, Naomi. I don't belong here anymore. Come and let me meet my family with you. I want to come and worship your God. And so Orpah stays in Moab and Ruth goes with Naomi. Now when they get to Bethlehem, life is not easy. There's two women. They don't have anyone to provide for them. And that's where we pick up today. How will they follow God in Bethlehem? How will they learn to follow him? How will God provide for them? <clears throat> Out of the gate, you know, this is some of you in here this morning. Um, you're here because you're tired of living in Moab. Amen? You're, you're here because you're, you're sick and tired of following the God of this world that blinds all of us unless we see the light of the glory and, and of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus. You're here because you're tired of living in Moab, and you've heard that God might be gracious, and that he might redeem sinners, and you might be able to worship him in a place of truth. And guess what? You're right. Some of you have been following Jesus for a long time. Others of you are not following Jesus yet. And wherever you're at this morning, as we dig into this, what I want you to know is that you can follow Jesus in just the same way. It doesn't matter what your life has looked like. So in our context today, what Ruth and Naomi are doing, what, what Ruth is doing, uh, would be something like this. She's saying, I want to take God and his word seriously, Naomi. I want to come into fellowship under the authority of God. I want to join the church. I want to be baptized. I want to do the whole nine. I know that it's going to cost me everything. It already has cost me everything, Naomi. I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow the God of Israel. And that's where we pick up today. How will they follow him in Bethlehem? Well, here's what's going on in uh, the, the last two chapters, or the, the, la the second chapter of Ruth, the last part of that, in the beginning of the, the third chapter. Um, life has not dealt kindly with these women. Um, currently, Ruth is in her early 20s probably, uh, and Naomi is probably in her late 50s or 60s, and um, 
Ruth is currently panhandling in Boaz's field. They're homeless. You see, what happened when they left Bethlehem originally is Elimelech sold all of their land off. He said, this place is dead to me. I'm going to Moab. They don't have a place to come back to. That's why they're looking for a redeemer. They have nothing. And Boaz does something after he meets Ruth. He notices that she is... Uh, that, she, that she's going around and, 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 she's, and she's gathering the, the leftover crops in the field, as we talked about the last couple of weeks. He notices her, and he shows her this, this kindness. This one night, they're having dinner after, after, um, after they're working in the fields, and there's about six weeks left of harvest. And he says, Ruth, why don't you come over here? This is in uh, Ruth 2, 14 through 18, somewhere in there. He says, why don't you come over here? And he, and he feeds her, and he says, why don't you dip a little of your roasted grain, your bread into, into my wine. Why don't, why don't we share a meal together? And it, it, was like this, it was like this date, this impromptu date that they had. It was informal, and it was, it was kind of like one of those Nicholas Sparks novel moments. You know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like one of those moments, like electric. But then there's like six weeks, so, so Ruth says, hey, or Bo- Boaz says, hey, Ruth, I'm going to give you a job. Why don't you, why don't you, why don't you co- collect in my fields, let my men and the ladies that are working with me look out for you because it's dangerous for a woman like you to be alone in the villages of Bethlehem collecting food. It's dangerous for you. And so, you know, uh, he takes notice of her. And, 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 uh, and, and, you know, what happens after this is that he offers her this job. Uh, and for six weeks or so, she is threshing, or she, she is collecting uh, food from his crops. He's allowing her to do that. But, but after that one night, it's like crickets, you know? They were like, it'd be like this. Boaz is like blowing up text to Ruth the night that they meet, right? They, they can't get enough of each other. They're talking. They're all googly-eyed, Nicholas Sparks kind of stuff. And then for six weeks, crickets. Nothing. He doesn't respond, he doesn't pursue her. Now, granted, Ruth wasn't exactly e-harmony material in the moment, right? I mean, she's working in the field, she's not smelling great, you know, Boaz is running this, this huge operation, and she thinks, like many of you who have been in that similar situation think, another lonely, wasted year, another wasted time of me putting myself out there and hopes for a spouse, and it not landing again. This passage shows us today that this feeling is something that God cares about. Those of you that are single here, God, God knows what's that, what that's like. He knows about your desires, whether you desire to be married or not. We know that we're not called to be alone, and God cares about that. It's, it's not just another failed attempt to a date for you either. All of these things are on the table in God's economy because our relationships are mirrors to the way that God made us. They're mirrors to the way that we relate to him. And I think sometimes, uh, we were talking in our missional community this week, I I think sometimes married folks forget that. Um, They forget what it's like to be single. And what we've been praying about since we started this church is that folks that are married, folks that are single could live in community together. And that might be a statement to the world about the redemption that the Holy Spirit has within and through his church. But, but the other side of the thing is, is I think sometimes folks that are single um, sometimes maybe don't understand how hard it is to be married. 
Um, and so what, what I'm proposing today uh, is that we all might grow in our understanding of each other as we live as the family of God together in that respect. So, so simultaneously we've got this dating thing going on. You know, Ruth is, is, is really likes Boaz. Boaz is, you know, secretly crushing on Ruth. And, and, and simultaneously Naomi has this, this family property that they've had. And as I told you earlier, Elimelech, let it go because he was looking for greener grass. And he sold off his land, but guys, he also sold off his inheritance. It, it reminds me of the story of Jacob and Esau. You remember that story maybe where he sells off his inheritance for a bowl of stew? In this impulse moment, he's so focused on the issue at hand, the fact that there's no prosperity in Bethlehem, that he runs from Moab and he he not only affects his own family then and there, he affects generations to come. And, and therefore, a redeemer, a relative, would need to come and buy back the land, buy back the inheritance, and then provide a son through one of the widows to carry on the family name and the family inheritance there in Israel. So here's the question. Who would be willing to marry into this family to a Moabite convert and take care of her aging mother-in-law? Who would sign up for that? Who would be willing to birth a son with this new Moabite convert? You know, her ba- she has baggage. She's a first-generation follower of Yahweh. And so what it looks like as we turn to Ruth chapter 3, it looks like a dim future uh, for, for Ruth and Naomi. It looks like homelessness is their, the lot that they've drawn in life. So you, you have questions like this in your own life as well. When our backs are up against the wall and we can't see the way out, where do you and I turn? How will we follow God when it doesn't look like things are going to play out like they're supposed to? Because what we see in Ruth chapter 3 is this very human approach to life. It's not so supernatural that you couldn't see it playing out the same way in your own life. How, how do you follow God in those moments Will we compromise and cut corners like Naomi is tempted to try to set this thing up as? Or will we trust in God to provide like like Ruth and and Boaz do in this moment? For us, what are some of these situations for us? You know, for some of us, uh, this time of the year, there's, there's more month than money. You know what I'm talking about? There's more month than money and you're tempted to cut some corners to keep the boat afloat. Maybe to just let the the clock keep ticking even when you're not working and you've went home. You're tempted to cut corners like maybe you're dating someone and you know they don't share the same faith as you. But he's willing to go along to get along so that you can get married. There's, There's this check in your spirit, but you're not getting any younger, so you'll just go along with it. Or you've got family that are far from God and care nothing about Jesus. They could be your own kids or maybe their aging relatives or parents. And, and you know that the more you press, the more they're going to run. Do you confront this reality or do you just let it slide hoping something might change? You see what I'm saying? There's all of these situations in our lives, and we could name more, maybe some very specific ones in your own life, where your back is up against the wall and you are tempted to compromise God's word and God's truth. Our big idea today of where we're going is this. Through the Holy Spirit, we can live lives of integrity in a world of compromise. Let me say it again. Through the Holy Spirit, 
we can live lives of integrity in a world of compromise. So what we're going to see today is that we have this Redeemer that's in control. When you go through the book of Ruth, you'll, you'll not actually see God's name mentioned anywhere in it. It's hard to believe. But, but here's the thing. We don't explicitly see God's name, but we see his fingerprints everywhere. You know what I'm talking about? The same is true in your own life. His signature is on every line of your life, drawing you in deeper, showing you that he is the redeemer worthy of your praise. So I've got three points that I want to make today as we go through Ruth 3. The first, the, the, it's three words, compromise, integrity, and redemption. So let's dig in. Uh, Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, compromise. God even works through impure motives. Let me remind you of what's going on in Ruth 3 here. Uh, starting in verse 1, Naomi, uh, uh, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with, with whose young women you were, gleaning in the field? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until after he's finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down... Observe the place that he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I'll do. Let me just say this. It's hard for me to believe that this is in the Bible, okay? Um, you know, you'll, you'll certainly not go to Lifeway after this and find a dating book that has this kind of advice in it. You know what I'm talking about? But I will say this. This is kind of how it happened when Megan and I got married. Exactly how it happened. I'm just kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Come on, loosen up a little, guys. She proposed to me. Just kidding, didn't happen that way. Uh, I, when I look at this and I think about Naomi, I think how could you be so twisted to put Ruth in such a compromising situation? Uh, does she cross the ethical line? I don't know, but one thing's for sure, she kind of stomps all over it if she doesn't cross it, Right? She's willing to do whatever it takes to set the situation up to redeem her family. So here's how it kind of goes. Naomi says, okay, Ruth, the harvest is over. You're not working for Boaz anymore. This is it. But tonight there's this big party. There's this celebration. Um, and, and why do we know there was a celebration? Because the Jewish people knew how to celebrate God. The other thing is this. There were at least 10 years of famine before this. And so for the first time in at least 10 years, they are having a harvest celebration. They haven't seen bread in 10 years that has come from Bethlehem. And now they see it. And so guess what? They're going to celebrate. And it's going to be a celebration unlike any people at this time had probably seen before. There's a harvest, a Thanksgiving moment. Can I just say this real quick? As Christians, I think we ought to be the most celebratory people in the world. We, we don't really do a good job of this a lot of times. We just kind of go along and kind of grind it out. What would it look like for you during this season to take just moments in your week, moments in your month, and just stop and celebrate? To just stop and celebrate the goodness of God. Rest. She says, I, shouldn't I seek rest? I'm go I've gone away full and returned empty is the way she describes her situation. Shouldn't I seek rest for you? Shouldn't I seek a better life for you? 
Naomi goes on to say, I want you to go to this party, but hey, here's the thing, girl. Don't just show up at this party. You need to make an appearance. That's what she says. You, you need to show up at the right time so that Boaz cannot forget about you. This is our last chance. He can't forget about you here. So you've got to make yourself known. Now, now here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with this approach, but it begins to teeter on a line that is, is kind of unethical and kind of edgy and not biblical. And so uh, let me just say this. If you're, if you're single, I was, I was talking with my best friend this week on the phone. He's single. He's, he's 33. And, and he said, you know, the first time in my life, this is, this is, this is getting to me. This is getting to me. And, and he's a very confident man and, and knows what God's called him to do. But he said, for the first time, this is, this is getting to my heart and my identity, and I don't know what to do with it. And so I just gave him a bunch of advice and books, right? No, 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 no. I just sat there and I listened to him and kind of grieved those moments with him. But wh- one of the things, he, he just said, hey, what would you do if you were in my situation? I said, sometimes, bro, you just got to put yourself out there. And there's, I know there's, there's this fear of rejection when you put yourself out there, but you've got to put yourself out there. And he, he agreed that he probably needed to do that a little bit more. And I just encouraged him that this is, a, this is something that, that, you know, that God likely wants for you, brother. Put yourself out there uh, in, 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 in those moments and in those places. When Megan and I first met in, in Las Vegas, uh, and by the way, guys, about 25% of our church is single. I don't know if you know this or not. And so it's really important for us to dive into these things together, and to, especially when the scriptures invite us into a place to discover it together and to lean in. When Megan and I first met in, in Las Vegas, here's how our first date at Barnes & Noble in North Las Vegas went. You know, I'm, I'm kind of staring out at the books. I don't like coffee yet because I'm, you know, I'm like 20 and I'm not old enough to drink coffee, I guess. And I, I'm just kind of looking out and, and Megan is talking to me and she doesn't think I'm listening. So that's just kind of the context of the situation. And, and she says something like this. Maybe she would clarify this language, but I'm going to use this language for now. Uh, I don't think I like you. You just got here and you're trying to tell me how to lead this ministry. Who do you think you are? Are you even listening to me right now? And, you know, I'm like looking out in the books, and, 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 and on the inside, I was thinking this, guys. So you're saying there's a chance. You're saying there's a chance that you might still like me. <laughs> and, and anyway, you know, the next day, I, I bought her a motorcycle helmet. We went riding up in the mountains together, and the rest is history. So Naomi goes on, and she says, listen, Boaz is our relative. He could be our redeemer. Let's, let's give this thing the best go that we've got. Go take a shower and get that, get that barley smell off of you. Put on your best cloak. Get those high heels out your mother gave you. Uh, and get them out of your suitcase. And spray on some of that Dulce and Gabbana perfume you got. Some of that Moabite mango you brought back from Moab. And go down to the party. But here's the catch. Don't make yourself known to him until after he's eaten and drank and laid down for the night. It doesn't say that he's drunk, but it does insinuate that he's probably had some wine to drink. And then she goes on to say, then under the cover of the night, go sit at his feet and uncover his feet after he's asleep. Okay, so, so when you read this, it's kind of turning out to be like the kind of wisdom that two fraternity brothers would give each other. You know what I'm talking about? It's just not, it doesn't seem like sound advice. Uh, dating means you stay upright, not lie down, Okay. 
And then in that moment when you've uncovered his feet and he's woken up and it's dark, you have your best dress on and that Dulce and Gabbana perfume, he will tell you what to do. I mean, 99 times out of 100, we know exactly how that plays out, don't we? He'll, yeah, he'll tell you what to do. It will not be a pretty picture. It will not please God. Now, remember this. Ruth is 100% Moabite. This is a part of her culture in Moab. The whole culture was built on this type of behavior, the, 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 the projections that we have. Now, Naomi's drawing up this plan, and, and, uh, and, and, and you know, when you get into those moments, you're kind of tempted to think, you know, the end will justify the means. It'll all work out in the end. I'll just have a little compromise now. I'll lack a little of sexual integrity, and I'll just, I'll just kind of go down this road for a moment, and the end will justify the means. We'll get married, and it will all work out fine. But sadly, this is the approach that our culture takes today. I, I was uh, meeting with some young men here at this school who were in eighth grade, and, and I just began to, 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 to delve into their life and, and some of the conversations that they were having and I introduced the idea of a biblical ethic for, for sex, and it was foreign to them. It wasn't like, hey, I heard my grandma told me that. It was, it was completely foreign. They had never, never heard that before. Now, now I don't mention, uh, I don't bring this up to, to shame any of us for our shortcomings in this area, but... But if there's an area where the devil wants you to compromise, it's definitely here because it has the propensity to do the most damage, not only, you know, to your outer life, but also your, your, your inner life. It has a deep spiritual component to it, and it messes with your redemption unlike any other sin. Paul writes it in 1 Corinthians 6, if you've got a Bible flip over, just want to hit on this for just a second while we're here. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, 17 through 20, Paul, Paul writes this. Uh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. The two become one, he's saying. That's what happens when we become Christians. And he says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the, the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. But keep in mind that language of Genesis, the two become one flesh. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your, in your body. But let me just say this as a, just kind of a, an aside. Uh, in your life right now, if this is something that is very much on your radar as far as how the enemy is going after you, the, the scripture gives us an imperative. When we're on the edge of compromise, flee. Flee. I, I mean, I think about Joseph and Potiphar's wife. You know, when, when she tries to set this thing up and he says, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And she yanks his robe off and, and he runs away. I mean, that's the type of intensity that we need to pursue, men and women, uh, sexual immorality. Because the enemy wants to twist and devour and mess up your whole life. Not, not just your marriage, not just your relationship, but your walk with God. That's what he wants to do. And it doesn't matter how old you are. If you're married or not married, it doesn't matter. The enemy wants to go after you, and he's got schemes where he wants to do that. But here's the good news. Jesus came, and he purchased us to set us free. 
It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. We don't have to live as, as slaves to sin anymore. So it, it, it doesn't really matter what your past has looked like, is what Jesus says in the Scriptures. But as we walk in Jesus, we ought to treat this uh, with as much intentionality and intensity as we can. Secondly, let, let's keep digging in. Uh, so we, we look at compromise, kind of Naomi. It seems like she's, she's, she's having Ruth maybe putting her in some compromising situations to bring about the plans of God. And, and you and I have those moments too. When, when God isn't real explicit about doing what we want him to do, we just kind of say, oh, maybe I can help him out a little bit, you know? It seems like Naomi's doing that. Maybe I'm speculating too much, but it sure seems like it. Now, now the, the second thing is this, integrity. Integrity means this, that, that we can trust the Holy Spirit with our desires. Let me read the rest of how this plays out in, in, in Ruth 3 to remind you. Because here's the deal, when our desires go unmet, there's something in us that seems to think that God doesn't want the best for us. It's almost like he's, he's punishing us and making us miserable. I really want this, he's not giving it to me. But what we see in this, in this text here is that, that God has a certain way that he wants to accomplish his purposes. And, I, and that's found through his word, his revealed will to us. So let's, let's read it. Verse 6, so she went down to the threshing floor just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight, the man was startled and turned over. He'd been asleep for a few hours. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. They know that about you. And now it is true that I'm a redeemer. But there's this redeemer that's closer to you than I am. Remain tonight and in the morning. He'll redeem you. Go, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose when no one could recognize her. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. He said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. She held it out and, and he puts a bunch of barley in it to carry home to Naomi. Okay, so here we pick up. Ruth goes on with this crazy plan, you know, Naomi draws it up, Ruth's like, hey, it sounds like a great idea, let's do it. <laughs> and so they go about on it, you know, Dulce and Gabbana sent and all, and, and we see Naomi was banking on something all along, Boaz's integrity. She was banking on the fact that he was who he said that he was, who he appeared to be. She was banking on the fact that he was a man after God's own heart. That's what she was banking on the entire time and so this thing plays out just as drawn up Boaz wakes up at about midnight and he says who are you why are you laying down on my bed and she says Ruth and then Ruth says spread your wings your garment over me for your redeemer it was this it was this kind of basically what she was doing she was saying hey will you propose to me because I'll say yes if you propose to me that's what she's saying, because for, for him to, to, to take on her family, to spread his wings as a redeemer, would mean to, to, to take her debt, to take everything that, that she was bringing into this relationship and say, that's mine now. 
And so in a moment of electricity, under the stars, they're sleeping outside, laying down at the end of the heap of grain. Boaz does the thing that I hope every guy that ever tries to date my daughters does. He says, let's pray. He says, let's pray. Seriously, he says, may the Lord bless you. This kindness you've shown me was greater than the first because you haven't chased after what the world chases after. You haven't chased youth. You haven't chased beauty. You've been looking for God. And because of that, Ruth, I see that you're a worthy woman. And in fact, uh, some commentators think that, that, that Ruth was the, the Proverbs, kind of the original Proverbs 31 woman that you see written about because Ruth was actually originally kind of next to the book of Proverbs in, in the order of the scriptures. And, and, and so you just see that this integrity is, is going throughout, it's weaved throughout this story. Now, Boaz uh, has an, a tremendous integrity, and he takes it a step further. He says, okay, look, we could do this thing right now, but here's what the Word of God says. You know, there's this, there's this Redeemer that's actually closer to you and your family and your, and your kind of relationship within the kind of the order of your family. And he says, let's go check with him first. Let's not get swept away with our emotion. It wasn't that he didn't want to be with her. They both wanted to be together. He says, there's just a way that God has about going with this. He shows us in his word exactly what we're supposed to do. And he, so he tells her to, to wait patiently until morning, but, but not until it's too late because he don't want the town talking about what might have happened when it didn't happen. And then he sends some grain back uh, with, with Ruth to Naomi. And I think it was kind of like a, kind of maybe a joke a little bit to just kind of say, hey, Naomi, I, I see what you're doing here. And, and by the way, uh, this, this provision that you see right here, which would have been an enormous amount of provision that, that he put on Ruth to go back to her, was, was just kind of like a, just kind of a, he's kind of winking at her, you know, saying, hey, look, I got you. I got you. This is going to work out. God's going to do this thing. Let's go about it his way. And, and here's my question. This isn't a guide on how to find a husband 101, right? This, we, we've identified that. We wouldn't tell our daughters to do this. So what does it mean for us then? I think it's a call to live with integrity and trust God's purposes and plans in the midst of a world of compromise. It's, here's my question. Could it be that the very things that you and I long for, that God has the very same desires for us? I mean, when we read what Naomi's plan was, it seems like she's trying to twist God's arm to make this thing work out. But what we see is that God had a plan to put this thing together all along. And, and, and Boaz, it may have felt like he was kind of letting her go when he went and talked to that other redeemer. We're going to look at that next week. But what we see happening is God working this thing out all along. Jonathan Edwards once said this. He said, our passions shape our will. What, what's that mean? We will always do what we love. You'll do what you love. You know, have you ever done something you say, I didn't mean to do that? You did mean to do it. You just didn't mean to get caught, right? I mean, we always do what we love. Our, our, our passions, they shape our will. The only way to save ourselves from the suicide of following your heart is to entrust our hearts to the one who made them and redeems them. I, I love what Psalm 37.4 says. This is, this is the verse that I go to when I don't know what to do, whatever the situation is. Psalm 37.4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, 
he will give you the desires of your heart. In other words, when you seek first God and his kingdom, when you seek first the face of God, you don't have any other gods above him, your passions and your desires will line up with God because you sought him first. You're not trying to twist God's arm into making him fit into your plan, but you're chasing him and your plan becomes his plan. So what does this mean for you today? Where are you tempted to compromise on God's precious word and plan for your life? Where are the places that you know right now in your life that you are not lined up with God? What does this mean for that? Do you believe that God might actually have your best interests in mind? Do you believe that your desires could actually be aligned as you chase after him? What if you were to seek delight above desire? And then let desire flow from delight. What would that look like for you today? Lastly, I just want to wrap this whole thing up by looking at redemption. Here's the deal. Boaz and Ruth, it's a great story. We love it. It's a great, it's a great story. But Jesus is the better Boaz. Ruth 3.18, she wraps it up and, and, and it says this. She says, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest but we'll settle the matter today. He'll figure it out. He'll do what it takes. So, so Boaz, he won't rest until he finds rest for you, Ruth. That's the kind of man that he is. He's found rest in God, and he won't rest until he helps you to rest. And, and rest means, it means more than sleep. It means security. It's the same word that was used to describe what the ark was to Noah and his family. This place where you are sheltered, and secure in the midst of chaos. And I know some of you are going through absolute chaos in your lives right now. Either you've gotten yourself into something or something has happened that's out of your control and you're in the midst of chaos. And the scriptures say the same thing. That God wants to, to give us rest in the middle of the storm. He wants to calm the storms in our heart. Boaz won't compromise. He will not give up. He will come through. Now Jesus is our better Boaz. Jesus did not rest until he made a way for us. This is the picture of the church. I mean, think about it like this. Ruth is like the church, and Boaz is like Jesus. We come to Jesus and we beg him, will you redeem me? Will you give me rest? We try to twist his arm. Will you, will you take me? I'm a mess, God. Will you take me? Will you not hold those things against me that I've done? Unspeakable things. Will you take me? Will you take my baggage? Will you take these motives? Will you hide me under the shelter of your love? I'm tired of running on what Moab has to give. I need a redeemer. Will you redeem me, Jesus? And Jesus, just like Boaz, just like him, pays from the treasure of his fortune with his Father in heaven to redeem us, to buy us back, but only at such a greater level. He gives his blood, his life to redeem us. And we are like Ruth. We don't do anything to deserve it. We simply ask. We simply put ourselves out there and say, Jesus, will you take me? And Jesus does all the work. We just, we just sit there and wait for him to come back while he brings us our rest. And, and church, that rest, that security, that confidence, that comfort is what you get when you are in Jesus. Amen? It's what he gives us. It's what this season of Advent is all about. The fact that he came to give us rest. We don't have to make it happen for ourselves anymore. 
We don't have to stitch a plan together. He cares about our lives more than us. I'm reminded of what Jesus says to his disciples in John 14. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be with me. Church, Jesus is coming back for us. He's not like Boaz. He didn't just run off and never come back again. You know, Boaz did come back, but a lot of times we think that he's done that. He's just ran off. He's just, he's peaced out. He's out of the situation. He's coming back for us. He's preparing a place. He's redeeming hearts. He is, the scriptures say that he is patient with sinners. He's patient with lost people. But there will be a time where his patience culminates in judgment. And the question for you today is, have you entered the rest that Jesus promises to give us? Are you ready for that place that he wants to take us to? Do you know Jesus as a redeemer this morning? Do you know him? Because if you don't, there is no rest. I want you to, if you don't know Jesus and, and God is just stirring your heart this morning, I want you to do me a favor and just talk to somebody about it. I don't care if it's me or someone else. Just talk. Don't let another day of unrest go by in your hearts. Follow him. Trust him. Give yourself to him. Because he's a better Boaz. Let's pray together. Father, we, we, we come to you today and um, we seek your face, Lord. We, we've all put ourselves in situations where compromise has happened or could have happened because we thought we had to twist your arm to get our way. And Lord, I'm so thankful that your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God, would you, would you give us rest and comfort in your plan this morning? Why would you also stir in the hearts of those that are not followers of you? They don't know Jesus as Redeemer. They don't have rest in their life. Would you stir in their hearts to do something about that this morning? To ask you to redeem them. So we thank you for this, this time in your word today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.